Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. We're in the book of Judges this summer. We're going to be studying, not verse by verse all the way through, because there's really not enough time, but we're going to cover a lot of the stories throughout the book. And this morning, I want to talk with us about expectations. I don't know what you expect of God. If you've got children in the row, look down at them. I'm looking down at them. I don't know what you expect of your children. I don't know what you expect of your spouses, what the quality of your marriage is. But here's what I know. We don't expect enough. We don't expect enough from God in our relationships. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to show us that. Judges chapter 1, verse 1, began by saying, Joshua died, and it came about after that that the people of Israel inquired of God, and they said, who shall go up against the Canaanites? They were south. They were going up north into the Canaanite territory to fight against the Canaanites. Judah was chosen, and they go up, and they have a major upset victory against King Adonai Bezek, a really well-known Canaanite king, a feared king. And they take that king, and they cut off some of his toes and some of his fingers, some of the same stuff he had done to all the people he used to capture, and they ended up putting him to death. And it's an upset. It's a huge win. It's a great start to what will, Lord willing, be a victorious conquest of Canaan. Now, I I did a spoiler alert last week and said that's not exactly the way it's going to go. But it was a good start. We're going to probably look back at that passage next week, but this week we're going to jump ahead to Judges chapter 1, verse 9. So would you stand with me? You can turn in your Bibles to Judges 1, verse 9. And they are going back down now. They've gone up against the Canaanites. Now they're coming back. This is the word of the Lord, Judges 1, verse 9 through 16. And I don't think I told the projection people that I was starting in verse 9, so the first couple verses are not going to be on the screen, but it'll pick up in 11. Afterwards, the sons of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country and in the Negev and in the lowland. So Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they struck Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talimon. And now we pick up on the screen. Then from there, he went against the inhabitants of Deber. Now the name of Deber was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him my daughter Ashka for a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and so he gave him his daughter Ashka for a wife. Then it came about when she said to him, that when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, her father, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the Negev. Give me also the springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived with the people. 
This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would work in our hearts right now as we meditate on your word and as we seek to apply it to our lives. We pray your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives. And Father, may the words of my mouth and all the meditations of our heart, all of our hearts and our minds, our thoughts together as a congregation be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And it's in his name, Jesus Christ, that we pray this. Amen. Last week's passage had to do with transitions. As I said, Joshua has just died. They're going into a land to settle it. They're not going to be nomads. They're not going to be wandering around the wilderness anymore. They're going to settle into this land that God is going to give them. And they've started having success. And they've sacked a couple of cities. And they've sacked, sacked Kiriath Sefer. And a man named Caleb, as they're going about this, a man named Caleb decides that he's going to issue to the people a challenge. He said, we just read it, the one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will even give my daughter Arksa, I think I said Ashsa or something, but it's Arksa, for a wife. So he's promised his wife to the man who can capture this city. Now who is this Caleb and why is he issuing this sort of challenge? Why should any one of those soldiers living at that time actually care about this challenge, this woman being related to this man? Weren't there many other women out there that could be wooed? What's so special about Caleb's daughter? Though there isn't really said, uh, we aren't told much in the book of Judges about this man Caleb, he is an important figure in the nation of Israel. Last week, I mentioned that when Moses sent out the 12 spies to spy out Canaan and to bring back a report of what they saw, there were 10 spies who came back and said, yeah, it's a good land. Yeah, it's filled with milk and honey. Yeah, there's all this goodness, but there's also all this badness. And that badness consisted of, generally speaking, giants, right? Giants. They say the people are huge. There's giants in the land. And the cities have heavy fortifications. Nah, I don't think we should do it. That was what 10 of them said. They won the popular vote amongst the people of Israel. And because of their faithlessness in not going into the land that God had promised them and commanded them to go in and conquer, God punished them by making them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. An entire generation of those who refused to go in died off. But there were two men that lived past those 40 years. And those two men were Joshua and Caleb. These were two men that brought back a very different report about that land. Yeah, they didn't actually say anything different about what was in the land. They said, yeah, there are heavy fortifications and there are giants. But they said something else too. They said that God was going to give them the land. They said to trust God, to muster strength, and to enter, and to watch what God would do. Caleb, we're told, 
in Numbers 13, quieted the people before Moses and said, we should, we should by all means go up and take possession, for we will surely overcome it. He didn't say that they're lying and there are no giants. He said, we should by all means go and conquer it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against it, for the people are too strong for us. Then, this is what happens, all the congregations lifted up their voice and wept. You have the entire nation of Israel, imagine this, on the borderlands of Canaan, weeping because of the situation they're in and these two reports and these two paths. The people are weeping, and it says, all the sons of Israel groaned and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, would that we had died in Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Wouldn't have been better if we had returned to Egypt. And so they said to one another, we're going to appoint a new leader and we're turning around. We're going back to Egypt. So they lift up their voices and they cry, and we can see that this crying isn't crying out to the Lord. This is, this is crying out against the Lord. This is grumbling. This isn't going in a good direction. They're crying out. They say, we're going back. And what do Moses and Aaron do? It says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly. We need to envision what's going on here. Israel is on the verge of a riot. The message of the ten faithless spies induces resentment and panic in the hearts of these people. And there's such a frenzy that they are going back home. And Moses and Aaron can ride it out in the wilderness. They're leaving them behind. This reminds me, and I hope it reminds us, of that verse that we thought about a little last week where it said, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's starting here. And in this moment of panic... With a, with a borderline riot about to break out. What is up with Ma Moses and Aaron? How are they trying to get in control of the situation? They aren't. They've fallen down on their faces before the people. Get up. What are you doing on the ground? Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you declaring something? It doesn't answer those questions, but it says they had fallen down on their faces before the people. I don't think that they were trying to lead by falling on their faces. You think about it. Moses normally fell down when he was before something that was very powerful, when he was afraid. That was good. He should have fallen down before the bush because God's presence was in the bush. He shouldn't have fallen down before a riot. Yeah, there might have been power in the riot, but there was greater power in God. He should have stand, stood. He should have fled. That's not what he did, though. Again, little vignettes from Joshua and Caleb's life. Little vignettes. Joshua and Caleb show up again, and this is what they say. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes in this moment of crisis and panic. They tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation. They're doing what Moses and Aaron should have done. They spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and they said, the land which we have passed through and spied out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and he will give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Expectation. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Again, his expectation is in God. 
They haven't entered the land yet, and yet their armor has already been removed from them. But all the congregation said to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. God doesn't allow these two great pillars of faith and confidence to be stoned. Just as the congregation was ready to kill the men that desired to do good, just as they were about to do that, God came down and put a stop to it. Caleb had great expectations in God, and God will not disappoint him. God will not leave him high and dry. Now, 45 years later, we're fast-forwarding. Caleb is still showing up. He's still leading. He's still putting expectation in God. After 40 years of wandering, Israel enters this promised land, and we're told, just one more reading from the book of, uh, the book of Joshua, that Joshua comes up, uh, Caleb comes up to Joshua before Joshua dies. And he says this to Joshua, Now behold, the Lord has let me live. Just as he spoke these 45 years from the time which the Lord spoke to Moses when Israel was walking in the wilderness, now behold, I'm 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. This is the man Caleb. We're getting a picture of him. Now then, give me, Joshua, all this hill country about which the Lord spoke to me on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. This is the land he wants. Perhaps the Lord will give it to me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him, and he gave him Hermon. He gave Hermon to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, this land became the inheritance of Caleb unto this day, because he followed the Lord his God fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirith Arba. For Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So a few things to notice here from this passage that I've just read. Caleb's faithfulness in calling to to the people to take Canaan almost got him stoned. That's what they tried to do. And yet that very same faithfulness is what caused God to extend Caleb's life. You understand that? When he said that they should enter and occupy the land, the people tried to stone him for it. But God said no. And it was because of his faithfulness that God allowed him to be the oldest man in Israel when they crossed over that borderline. He's 85. And he says he still has the strength that he had when Moses initially sent him to spy out that land. And I'm confident that this is at least in part, I think he actually was physically strong, but this is certainly due in part to knowing that God was his source of strength, not his own biceps, not his own quads. It's not the physical ability, it's what God had promised him. So he says he's just as strong at 85 as he was when he was 40. It was going to be conquered by God's power, but he still had to take it, all right? He still had to take it. He still had to work hard for it. He still had to subdue it. This is Caleb's character, a man of expectation, a man who is getting it done at 85. Also, notice that Caleb doesn't just ask for any plot of land. He doesn't look out and see the flat land and say, 
yeah, I'll take that. He asks for the hill country, and if you know anything about fighting, you know that you don't want to be, you all know the expression, an uphill battle. Where do you think that comes from, right? You don't want to fight a battle when you're going uphill because your enemy has the automatic advantage to snipe you. So not only is he saying he'll take land at 85, he's saying that he wants to take the hill country. That means he's going to be fighting an uphill battle. Expectation. Expectation. And as if that weren't enough, we're told that the people that lived in that land were the Anakim. Not Anakin. Anakim. Uh, everyone under 15 just looked up for about a split second. That was intentional. Who are the Anakim? I know you probably didn't turn to all the passages I read, but the Anakim were the giants that the ten spies said, we can't go into the land because the Anakim lived there. We're afraid. We can't go up against these giants. So not only does Caleb say he wants to take some land, not only does Caleb say he wants to take the high land, he says he wants to take the homeland of the Anakim. And as if that weren't enough, it's like Gideon with God, and God keeps like, this is the opposite way. Caleb is going up. He keeps saying he wants more. As if that weren't enough, he specifically says that he wants the land of Kiriath Arba because this guy named Arba was the greatest man of the Anakim. All right? You're getting a picture of this? This is like in a different time. This is like the Goliath of a, of a few hundred years before David. This is the greatest man among the Anakim of the giants in the hill country, and Caleb is 85 years old. Caleb is a man of expectation in God, a man full of faith. And guess what? That last verse I read says, the land had rest from war. He got it done. He expected great things by faith. And we're going to talk more about expectation here in just a second. He accomplished great things by faith. When you have great expectation in God, when you have great expectation in God, you're going to have great expectation for all of life for all of your relationships. If you have great expectation in God, as parents, you're going to have great expectations for your children. Caleb expressed that not just he could win victory. Think back to before that 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't just say, I will go in and conquer it. He had expectation in God, and he said, we can conquer it. He had great expectations in God, and he had great expectations for the people that were moaning and groaning and on the verge of a riot. He still fought for them. If you have expectations in God, the God who holds all things together, you can have expectations for even the most hopeless of situations because we serve a God that is pleased to show his power and his greatness in the most hopeless of situations and circumstances. It says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. All things hold together in him. So you need to raise your expectations for your marriage, for your children's obedience, for what God can accomplish in you and through you, what he will accomplish through this church, what he will accomplish through worship. What is your expectation coming here on a Sunday morning? Do you have anything coming in on your mind? Raise your expectations. You can't have expectations that are too high in God. 
the God who does far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Great expectations in God is faith. The passage that we read at the outset begins with this man, Caleb, and we did that history so that we get a fuller sense for who this man is and what his character is. But at the outset, we read about Caleb issuing a competition for the hand of his daughter in marriage. And now that we've got a sense for who this dude is, we can understand a little bit more why marrying his daughter would be so great of a prize, why it would be such a draw for those other warriors. Caleb is the central leader of Israel at this point. He is the father of this people in age as well as in faith. He's a warrior. He's strong. You'd be hard-pressed to find a man that wouldn't want this man to be his father-in-law. Now, I'm saying all this and Many of you are probably thinking about the, the implications of such a thing and the, 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 the potential marriage. And this isn't how most stories of romance transpire today, is it? Nah, not at all. The idea of being given away in marriage by your father to a man just because he conquered a city probably seems, if we're honest, very inorganic. Not quite the way you hope your father's planning to find you a suitor, a husband, a fiance, whatever. And yet, this marriage was a marriage that was rooted in love. It may not seem that way due to our sensibility, with our modern sensibilities, but it was absolutely a marriage that was rooted in love. And here's why. This marriage between Othniel and Arksa was rooted in love because Caleb loved God and he loved his daughter. What we see in this story is a story about a father's love for his daughter and his expectations for his daughter and from his daughter. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Why do you think Caleb had the idea to host such a competition as he did? Was it that he wanted his daughter out of the house? I'm, 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 I'm generally saddened by how many interactions I have on an ongoing basis throughout life where parents express to me the, the urge to get their kids out of the house as soon as possible. Not because it's wrong for kids to grow up. They should. Parents should have their children leave their house eventually. It's problematic when that doesn't happen most of the time. No, that's, that's not why. It's because they seem to not enjoy their children, Right? they are telegraphing to me that they've raised their children in such a way where they don't like them. And that's not a very smart idea, is it? Shouldn't it be our goal? to? We shouldn't be our kids' best friends, but we should enjoy, raise children that we enjoy, right? So it's, it can be discouraging to me when I hear that. Do you think that's why Caleb wants his daughter out of the house? Absolutely not. This isn't one of those situations. I'll tell you why he wants her to get married to this man. He's seen what faithlessness does. He knows the greatness of God, the promises of God, but he also knows how hard it actually is to live by faith in God's promises. And he's seen where faithlessness goes. He spent 40 years out in the wilderness. He wants to make sure He wants to make sure that his daughter's husband will be faithful, that he'll be brave, 
that he'll be the kind of man that has great expectation in what God can do up against all odds. And so, what better challenge than to say, he who can go up against this city of giants and defeat it, that's the man for my daughter. Caleb was a man who had great expectation of God. He was a man who had great expectations for his daughter. He knew the hard work it was going to be to drive out the inhabitants and their inheritance. Remember this. As we read, it says that they drove these people out and he captured this city. But you need to remember that this is not just a one and done. That the book of Judges is actually, yes, in Joshua there were some initial victories and a good pace setting for the rest of history. But actually, no, the book of Judges is that there was a lot still more of maintaining and driving out to do. So they've gotten this city, Kiriath Sefer, but that doesn't mean it's just easy pickings from here on out. There's still a lot of faith that's going to have to be exerted. There's still going to a lot of work and sweat to have to be exerted. He was very familiar with the temptation to cave and to take an easy road when it comes to doing what God had said. And he wanted to ensure that his daughter was going to marry a man who had great faith and expectation in God. If we were to flip to Judges chapter 3, verse 9, we don't need to. We'll, we'll meet Othniel again, this time as the judge of Israel, the first judge, and actually the greatest judge. Caleb expects great things from God, and he expects great things for his daughter. He expects great things from Othniel. Think about that. He expects his expectations didn't have narrow boundaries. What do you expect? Do you expect little? Do you expect bad? Do you expect good from the hand of God? Do you expect great things for and from your children? Do you expect these good, good things from those that are around you? Do you expect great things from those in your small group when you get into prayer time? Is that the way you live? Is that the way you lead? The level of our expectation coincides with the level of our faith. Caleb expects that God would do as he has promised, and we call that faith. Belief and action. Realize this, that every expectation, though, that you and I have has a direct implication on our actions. We can't miss this. We can't expect God to work if you don't show up. That's the way expectations always are. You can't expect to take home the gold and not practice. That's stupidity. You can't expect to win a girl's heart if you don't go after her and put effort into it. Or if you're Othniel, defeat a city. You can't expect your children to stop whining and throwing temper tantrums if you don't change your parenting. It's ridiculous. You can't expect your father to trust you if you're a liar. You can't expect to have privileges if you don't obey. You can't expect great things from God if you don't attempt great things for God. Jonathan and his armor bearer, I'm hopping to another story. Jonathan, Saul's son, and his armor bearer trusted that God would deliver them from the Philistines, and so they went up against them. And that was actually another uphill battle, come to think of it. David had the expectation that God would be with him and do for him just as he had done 
with the lion and the bear with Goliath. And so he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defied the armies of the living God? He went out, he gathered the smooth stones on the brook, and he went and he killed Goliath. Every expectation, every expectation that you have has a direct implication for you. And honestly, expectation coincides with actions. This is the reason that we can be content with low expectations. This is the reason we're fine having low expectations throughout life because we actually understand that if we're to raise our expectations, we're also raising our commitment level and our action level. This is always the way it works. It's not that we don't want the fruit of greater expectation. It's that we don't want to put in the sweat. Caleb had expectations of God. He had expectations for his daughter. He had expectations for Othniel. So he acted. He didn't just sit around. He didn't wait for his daughter to find someone that she liked. He had expectation, and he acted on it. We need to raise our expectations. And as we do, we need to recognize that as we raise our expectations up, God is saying, all right, how's it going to happen? And we're volunteering for it. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. We have to raise our expectations. We need to be ready to act in accordance with those expectations. And finally, as we close, Caleb isn't the only one in our passage who has expectation. His daughter, Arksa, is a picture of strength and godly expectation as well. We already read she came to Othniel, her new husband, and she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. This wasn't a bad thing. This is most likely part of the dowry. But then it says, she alighted from her donkey, and, and Caleb came to her and said, what do you want? And she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also the springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and the lower springs. Listen, guys, some of you probably have read this passage and thought, well, she was greedy. It's not greed. She realized that this was going to be a need that they had, and she asked her father for them. What child who grows up in a loving home doesn't have great expectations of what their parents will do for them? You understand? You understand the way that expectation flows down? You understand that living with Caleb as a father makes Arksa say, Dad, can I have it? Isn't that what God wants from us? Isn't that what he says to do with him and his fatherhood here? This is a beautiful thing. This woman is a picture of strength and dignity. She isn't greedy. She isn't trying to suck more from her dad than what he's already been willing to give. This is a good thing. It's a bold ask. It's a bold ask. Listen, the other thing is, remember the fights that, you remember earlier in, small, in the small group year, if you were in small group, that Lot and Abraham had to separate. You remember why? Because the land wasn't enough for all of them, right? It didn't fill all their needs. Also, wells are a big deal in the Scripture. And there were a few skirmishes over wells, right? Do you not think that by her asking for this land and for these wells, she's saying, I know I'm going to have to defend it. Don't you think Othniel knows I'm going to have to fight for it? It's gonna, people are going to try and take this away. This is faith. 
This is not just greed. This is, these are good things being displayed for us to, to pick up on here. Remember the significance of lands and wells. The land did not just have a physical significance. It was a spiritual significance as well. It was God's blessing to the people. This is why, if you, I'm going to other stories here, but remember Naboth, Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. He went to him and asked for it. He said, mm, no, not selling it. Why? Because it was the land that God had given him. It was significant. This is why the daughters of Zelophehad, when their father dies and there was no male heir, heir, go to the leaders and say, give us this land. I know it's normally given to the boys, the men of the family, but my dad didn't have an heir. So give us this land. Why? Because the land is significant. It wasn't just a commodity to be traded or sold. It was God's spiritual and physical blessing to them. And what I want to point out here in this interaction between Arksa and her husband, or soon-to-be, and her father, is that Caleb's expectations were contagious. We see them in him. We see them in his daughter. We see his boldness and expectation alive in Arksa. And the same is true with other examples. Jonathan's armor-bearer wouldn't have gone up against that hill all by himself. The The only reason that all the Israelites ran after the Philistines after Goliath came down was because David had great expectation in what God could do. He had great confidence and he acted in it and that was a bolster to the entire nation of Israel. So David cuts off Goliath's head and his expectation is contagious. His bravery, it, it came into the lives of the army of Israel and they ran after the Philistines. When we raise our expectations as fathers and mothers and bosses and business owners and elders and leaders and deacons in this church for the glory of God, it it will be contagious. Our spouses will grow. Our children will grow. Our small groups will grow. You'll get infected with it. But it's got to be real. That's the other thing. It's got to be real. If it's fake, if we're maintaining expectations because we want other people to see us in a certain way, either with our kids or the way we act, it's worthless. Don't try that. That is absolutely worthless. That's not real. It doesn't have your heart. Remember last week we talked about the heart. You have to, you have to, the expectations must come from your heart. Caleb was no play actor. The fruit of his genuine expectations can be seen in the faith of his daughter. Raise our expectations. Think bigger thoughts of what God wants you to do. Challenge yourself. Pray for greater things. Lift your expectations in your prayer. Risk bigger things for the sake of God. Demand greater things from your children because of the God that you serve. This is Caleb. This is his example. We need to live out our days with the expectation that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. We need to live out our days believing that we will see the goodness of God. And I'm not just trying to say that it's always nice. I'm not just trying to say that the goodness of God always comes as a present to us on Christmas morning. Sometimes it's through trial. But we need to live believing that we will see, expecting to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. The problem is not having expectations that come too high. It's that our expectations always go too low. 
And this morning, I challenge us, I call on us to raise our expectations because we serve the God of all creation. We need to raise our expectations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would challenge us, that you'd call us to things that are greater, not for our own sake and not for the building up of ourselves. How pathetic but for the glory of your name, so that we might expire our lives seeking your kingdom, as we just said a little bit ago when we recited the Lord's Prayer. Seeking your kingdom on earth, that your will might be done, and what a great thing that would be. Give us strength and give us faith to act as we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.